Human beings are prone to follow a crowd. You see this every few years when there's a product that everybody gets all excited about. The latest example that I saw was a Stanley water bottle. Have you seen these? Seems like every middle school girl for Christmas this year wanted a Stanley water bottle. And my daughter had it on her list. She then took it off. I was confused. I'm like, you're asking for a water bottle for Christmas? I had no idea what this was all about. And it's not just middle school girls who are interested in Stanley water bottles. It's moms as well. Look at this video from Target. They released a Cosmo pink and a Target red colored Stanley water bottle. And these moms just descended. I mean, this is like hyenas that found a wounded zebra. I mean, they were just <laughs> devouring this stand of water bottles. And you might wonder what in the world about a Stanley water bottle is so great. I mean, why do people want them? Well, first of all, they're 40 ounces, so you can stay hydrated and curl your bicep at the same time. It's like a kettleball. Secondly, they advertise themselves as keeping cold water cold for 11 hours and hot drinks hot for seven hours. Do you really want to be drinking coffee that's been sitting in a mug for seven hours? I, this is like when guys buy a flashlight that can be run over by a semi-truck, and I'm like, I don't think you're ever going to need that, but it's nice to know you have it if you do need it. We must be the most hydrated generation in the history of the world. I mean, you used to have to walk three miles to the river to fill up a 40-ounce bucket. Now you just carry the 40 ounces with you wherever you go. Now, I'm from Minnesota, so I'll just tell you there's only one Stanley Cup, okay? And you got to win it before you drink out of it. That's how that tends to work in our state. But my point here is this. Human beings are prone to follow a crowd. Now, that's not really a big deal when it comes to a water bottle, but what about when it's something more serious? In fact, let me ask you, would you say that following Christ in the world we live in today is easy or it's hard? Would you say, oh, you know, it's middle school, high school, college, my neighborhood, my workplace? I think it's pretty easy, actually, to be a follower of Christ. Or would you say, you know, it's, it's pretty challenging. It's difficult. I would say it's a little bit of both. There's been previous generations where you could be killed because of your faith, so it's easier than that. But overall, I would say following Christ in the world we live in today is kind of hard. For example, my wife and I were walking out of my son's football game several years ago we had our lawn chairs and as we got to the parking lot this truck pulled up and it was one of the parents and he rolled down his window and he looked at me and he said I'll bet you get this all the time and I was like yep you go to Eagle Brook don't you and so I kind of reached out my hand to shake his hand and he looked at me and he was really confused like Eagle Brook and he looked at my wife and he goes you look just like the girl from the movie Knocked Up But he had kind of a southern twang to his voice, so he said, knocked up. I said, huh? He said, knocked up. I said, what? <laughs> Finally, I could figure out what he was saying. I said, oh, we have not seen that movie. He was in total disbelief. He's like, what? Everybody's seen that movie. At this point, I realized, you clearly don't know what I do for a living. <laughs> no, sir, I did not go see a movie called Knocked Up. I did go look at what the movie was about, because afterwards I was curious. I'm like, what is this? So I read a description online of the movie. Here's how they describe the movie. It's about a drunken one-night stand between a slacker who works on a celebrity porn website with his roommates, 
likes to smoke weed and go to theme parks, and a just-promoted media personality that results in an unintended pregnancy. I did not just make that sentence up. That is an actual description of the movie. And here's what's even crazier. Not only is that the world in which we live, but that is considered normal. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what this series is all about. In fact, today's message is titled Worldliness. How do we take back our family from the worldliness that's all around us? How do we take back our family from conforming to the patterns of this world? But that's a real challenge today. It's a real challenge if you have kids. It's a real challenge if you are a family. For instance, I was on X, formerly known as Twitter, a few months ago, and I was reading a, a post about the Minnesota Twins. And so I'm reading this, and I'm kind of scrolling through the comments because I wanted to know what people were thinking about this person's post. And as I scrolled through the comments, I came to the last one. And here's what it said. It said, show additional replies, including those that contain offensive content. Now, some of you might know where this is going, but I was like right over my head. So I'm reading it, and I'm going, whoa, somebody got really offended about the Minnesota Twins. Like, they must just be upset that we're not spending more money in free agency this offseason. I want to see the offensive content. And so I clicked the button. The next screen was kind of fuzzy, and it said, content warning, nudity. And then there was a button in the corner that said, show. I did not click that button. But think about this with me for a moment. Here I am, I'm reading about baseball, and there it is right in front of my face. One of my friends posted on social media years ago, he said, football commercials, thank you, Cialis. My eight-year-old son just told me the next time he goes to the doctor, he's going to ask if his heart is healthy enough for sex. <laughs> no, son, your heart is definitely not healthy enough <laughs> for that. You can't watch a football game. You can't go read a post on social media about baseball and not encounter something that if your six-year-old or eight-year-old is sitting next to you, you're going, I guess we're going to have to talk about this. That's the world in which we live, and that is considered normal. 1 John chapter 2 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. That's one of the most challenging verses in the Bible. Do not love the world or anything in the world. He's not saying you shouldn't love your parents or, or love, you know, coffee or something like that. He's talking about something much deeper. He said, if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. So you cannot love the world and love God at the same time. He says, for everything in the world, and now he starts to define what he means by world. He says, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. What, what typifies the world? He, say, he tells us, he says, it's a lust of the flesh, it's a lust of the eyes, it's a pride of life. Lust of the flesh is pleasure. I, I, just, want, I just want to feel good. 
And I don't care if God says don't do that. If it's going to feel good, I'm going to do it. It's a lust of the flesh. A lust of the eyes is I want that. I need that. I got to have that. In fact, I think that's going to make me happy probably more than Jesus or God or any of that. That's what I need. It's a lust of the eyes. And then the pride of life is achievements and success and power. And John says those are the things that typify this world. When Paul says do not conform to the patterns of this world, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, and a pride of life. And the truth is, every single one of us battles against this on a daily basis. On a daily basis, the battle that you and I face is this. Am I going to love the world or am I going to love God? Am I going to look to the world to satisfy me, to fill me up and make me feel better? Or am I going to look to Jesus Christ? It's a battle that we face every single day. And this is what is so key. One of those is going to become a habit. You are either going to be in the habit of loving God or you're going to be in the habit of loving the world. You're either going to get in the habit of turning to the world to try to make you feel better or you're going to get in the habit of turning to Jesus Christ. But either way, it's going to be a habit. Habits are kind of a funny thing. We think of habits as little things that we do oftentimes unconsciously so, for example, when I drive in the car, and I don't really know even why I do this, but I unconsciously just put my leg up like this, and this is how I drive. And so people who get in the car with me for the first time, I don't even think about it, but they'll sit in the passenger seat, and they'll look over, and like, is that how you sit? I'm like, what are you doing? Like, you like, doesn't look comfortable at all. You're kind of like a pretzel all twisted up. Like, that's weird. I had never met someone who drove like this. Until I took Dave Holvig, who oversees our worship areas, to lunch one day. I got in the car, and all of a sudden he goes, you do that too? And a week later, Dave sent me this picture. That's his leg. And I was out driving, and so I pulled over, and I sent him this picture. <laughs> and then I told him, I said, hey, we are at a new level in our relationship. You are the only dude I send leg pics to, okay? I don't have anybody else in my life that I'm sending leg pics to. But why do we do this? I don't actually know. It's, it's just a habit. There's neurological reasons behind our habits. Your brain doesn't want to work that hard. And so the basal ganglia, which is the part of your brain that kind of organizes everything, it's always looking for shortcuts, it's always looking for a little shortcut, a pattern, a habit that it can just hardwire into your brain. If you think about it, this is why you're able to tie your shoes and have a conversation at the same time. You ever seen a toddler try to tie their shoe? I mean, it's like they're performing heart surgery. I mean, they're just, they're just so focused. But if you do that enough over time, pretty soon your brain goes, I don't want to have to think that hard about this. So I'm just going to kind of file that away into a habit, into a shortcut in the mind. One author talks about a wagon wheel that, that goes into a rut. You can go out to Nebraska or Wyoming today, and you can see wagon wheel ruts that are still imprinted into the soil. They're just the grooves are there. 
And researchers say that's sort of what happens in your brain. Grooves or ruts are, are caused and they're, they're put about into your mind. And if you think about a wagon wheel, when it's in the rut, boy, it just kind of goes along real nice. But it's hard to get that wagon out of the rut. And it's the same is true for our habits. This is why a habit is so difficult to break. With that in mind, let me go back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This was written centuries before neuroscientists had any idea how the brain works, and yet it fits perfectly. Your brain loves patterns. It wants to create shortcuts. And so Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Here's my question for you. Is there a way that you have begun to conform to a pattern in this world? Is there a part of your life that you look at and you go, wait a minute, I just, I feel like I've gotten in a habit. I feel like I'm in a pattern right now and I'm not really following God. I'm not being transformed. I'm following and conforming to a pattern of this world. And is there a way that your family has begun to conform to the patterns of this world? There's a business axiom that says that your systems are perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. So if you run a business, however well that business is doing, is dependent on your systems and your process. That's not just true in business. It's true in life. The Bible says you reap what you sow. What habits are you sowing into your life? What habits are you sowing into your family? And are those habits conforming you more to the patterns of this world, or are they allowing you to be transformed by God? Are the habits that you're sowing into your family, are they helping you love God, or are they causing you to love the world? Now, if you're a young person, you might be listening to this, and you're like, oh, I'm going to check out. Like, This is for parents. This is for grandparents. I actually wrote this message mostly for you, because think again about a wagon in the rut. It's really hard to get it out. What's the best time to build good habits into your life? What's the best time to build good habits into your family? It's, it's actually when you're young, before you get into the bad habits in the first place. So I want to give you three habits that will help you fight worldliness in your family. Here's the first habit, church. A regular weekly time in church helps you fight against worldliness. Some of you think, well, you're the pastor. Like, of course you're going to say church, right? Like you're, you're, you're contractually obligated to say that. But I want you to look at what the Bible says about this. Book of Hebrews, he says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the what? Some are in the habit of doing. He uses the word habit. In other words, you are either in the habit of being in church, or you're in the habit of filling your weekend up with other activities, but either way, it's going to be a habit. I was talking to a guy in our church years ago, and his son was in his 20s, and he said, my son is just drifting. He said, my son is just drifting away from God. He's engaged in these destructive behaviors, and then he looked at me, and with this regret in his eyes, he said, if I could do it over again, I would make church a higher priority. 
He said, our family, we love sports, we're athletic, and I don't know if there's nothing wrong with that, but he said, somewhere along the way, we started to communicate to our son that sports is more important than church, and, and therefore, sports is more important than God. He said, if I could do it over again, I would. I could sympathize with what he was saying. Our, our kids, when they were younger, they all played traveling sports. We had tournaments on the weekend. But what I loved about Eagle Brook is we always had options. We could go Saturday night. We could go Sunday morning. My son had a tournament in Rochester. and My wife took him to the Rochester campus. We had a tournament in the South Metro. We went to the Apple Valley campus. And there was a weekend recently. My wife was out of town. I was speaking. My 18-year-old son got our kids up and brought them to Ham Lake. Even if you have a sick kid or something you cannot miss, you can always tune in online. But I'm telling you, it's either going to become a habit or it's not. Now, you'll, you'll hear people kind of push back on this, and they'll say, well, God is everywhere. You don't have to be in church to be a Christian. And this is one of those statements that's dangerous because it's partially true. It's, it's one of those statements that's a little dangerous because it's just partially true. Yes, God is everywhere. And yes, you don't have to be in church in order to be a follower of Christ. But here's my question. If you're a follower of Christ, why wouldn't you want to be in church? Jesus never says, well, it doesn't matter if you go to church or not. He says, don't get out of the habit of meeting together. I think it's because church isn't just about what we get. It's about what we can give. I mean, yeah, you can listen to the message on Monday morning when you're you know, out for a run, but you can't serve. You can't check your kids into kids' programming so they can learn the Bible in a way specifically designed for them. You can't worship with hundreds of other people and feel the inspiration of corporate worship in that moment. You don't get an hour of distraction-free time with God. Those are things you would miss out on. I love what he says in the book of Joshua. Joshua says this. He says, as for me and my family, we are going to serve the Lord. I know a family in our church, they serve in kids at Anoka on Saturday nights, and some Sundays they get up and they drive to Minneapolis and they serve again. And what do you think those kids are learning? They're learning, as for our family, we serve the Lord. As for us, serving other people is one of the highest values that our family has. I noticed in my own family, coming out of COVID, that my kids would go, let's just watch online. And honestly, I was in my PJs, and I was like, I'd rather just watch online too. I mean, it just feels more comfortable. But I don't know about you. Maybe watching online is great. For our family, it's like one kid's got his foot in the dog's mouth. One kid's like making some food. The other kid's like sneaking on his phone. I'm like, okay, this is just not working. And so I remember telling my wife, I said, hey, if we don't lead the way now, what hope do we have as they get older? Now, you're, you're here today. You're taking this message in online. This is the definition of speaking to the choir right now. But I just want to say to you, way to go. Way to make it a value for you and for your family. It's one of the ways that we don't conform to the patterns of this world. Because most families, when it comes to the weekend, they're, just, they're busy with all kinds of other things. And it sets the value for their family. Here's the second habit that I hope that you will begin to develop in your life, and it's the habit of forgiveness. 
How does this relate to families? Well, here's what struck me as I was putting together this message. It struck me how many people I know in their 40s and 50s who get in a fight with their spouse and their spouse goes, why do you do that? Why do you give me the silent treatment when you're upset about something? You just try to sweep it under the rug and you pretend it didn't happen. We're just not going to talk about it. And why are you so passive aggressive like that? I mean, I can tell something's bothering you, but you don't communicate and tell me what it is. And why do you yell like that? And why do you shout like that? And why do you throw things when you get angry? And why do you keep a record of wrongs? I mean, all of a sudden they're like, remember six years ago? Like, no, I don't remember six years ago. What, what, what happened six years ago? Well, they got it all just right here. And their spouse is going, why do you do that? And they're going, I don't know. And what strikes me is oftentimes they learned that habit of how to reconcile conflict when they were eight, when they were 10, when they were 15, and now they're just doing it and they're not really sure why that's become a habit. My wife bought a new table for our living room and our old table was like, there's markers on it, it was falling apart, so she got a new one and I liked it, but it was a light wood. And so I said to her, I said, this is gonna show stuff. And so we were really clear with the kids, like no drawing on it, no eating on it. The first night... This was not a kitchen table, by the way. This is my living room. They should be eating in the kitchen. They do eat a living room table. That's where the story is going, by the way. You're, you're jumping, my, jumping the humor here. My youngest son had a Sharpie first night with a piece of paper, and he's drawing on it, and he goes off the edges of the paper, so there's just these little like Sharpie marks on the table. I was so ticked. I went and got a washcloth. I came over. I was scrubbing as hard as I could. And the whole time, I'm like, what were you thinking? And we told you, don't draw on the table. He's like, I forgot. It's been one night. How could you forget one night? This is, and I'm just scrubbing away. And at this point, it's not coming off, and I'm starting to sweat. And so in a moment, I just took the washcloth, and I chucked it at the table. And my son, he was down there like, he knew what was up. I mean, he was like (laughs) scrubbing away as hard as he possibly could. And so the washcloth slammed into him. And my 14-year-old daughter looked at me and she said, Dad, it's a worldly thing. She's wise. (laughs) It is a worldly thing. And so in that moment, I had to say to my son, like, hey, there is a consequence for not listening, for drawing on the table. However... I was wrong to get so angry and harsh with you. When I became a parent for the first time, I remember asking other parents who were kind of further along than I was, I said, what's your best piece of parenting advice? If you're about to have a kid, this is a great question to ask some parents. What's the best piece of advice you could give me? And there was a pastor at another church. He said, here's my best piece of advice. Always be willing to confess your sin to your kids. He said, when you mess up and you sin against your kids, like you lose your temper or you do something, he said, go to them and say, I'm sorry. He said, here's what that's going to do. It's going to model humility. It's going to model confession. And it's going to show your kids that you're not perfect and you need God's grace, just like everyone else. That's the best piece of parenting advice I've ever gotten. Because I can't tell you how many times I've lost my temper or I've said something that I shouldn't have said to my kids and I've had to go to them and say, I was wrong. And would you please forgive me? And here's what I know is true about kids. They know they're not perfect. 
They, they know they're going to have times when they're going to do something that they shouldn't do. What they're trying to figure out is, what should I do then? Should I lie about it? Should I try to hide it and cover it up so my parents don't find out? Should I blame someone else? Should I blame my brother or my sister? Or should I confess it and ask for forgiveness and have that relationship come back together? One of those is going to become a habit. And that habit, you're probably going to learn it when you're young. You're probably going to learn it in your family. And you will carry it with you for years to come. So develop that habit in your family now. Here's the third way to fight against worldliness with our habits. And it's this, look to Jesus. Neurologists say that when a baby is born, something fascinating happens to both a mother's brain and the baby's brain. They change. A mother's brain, as the baby is born, there are chemicals released into her brain that causes her to become more attuned to facial expressions so she can read emotions better and to be more aware of danger. A mom's brain changes more in that moment than all of puberty combined. Isn't God amazing how he designs the human brain? And it's not just the mom's brain that goes through some changes, the baby does as well. In fact, neurologists say that as the baby's born, it's like it's looking for someone who's looking for them. Such a beautiful phrase. Looking for someone who's looking for them. And in that moment when the baby locks eyes with its mother and with its father, it's as if the baby is saying, you are the one that I was looking for. I wonder if that never really leaves us. I wonder if some of us wake up in the morning and we were looking for someone who's looking for us. And sadly, there are some of us here today and you feel this. You wake up and you go, nobody sees me. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares. I want to read to you a prayer that's found in Numbers chapter 6. And it says this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Are you in the habit of turning your face to Jesus? I, I get frustrated with myself at the age that I am that I oftentimes when I'm struggling in life and I'm not doing very well, I'm in the habit of looking to this world. I'm in the habit of thinking if I can control this situation, this circumstance, if I can just fix this over here, if I can just get this or have that, then I'm going to be happy that the, somehow the world is going to satisfy me. And I have to continually remind myself, Jason, don't look to the world, look to Jesus Christ. What if you did that this week? What if you're struggling right now? You're not doing, you know, something's going on in your life. And you say, I'm not going to look to the world. I'm going to look to Jesus Christ. And here's what I think you would find if you did that. You would find that God's face is turned towards you. He sees you. He loves you. And when his face is turned towards you, what do you experience? The verse says, when his face is turned towards you, he will give you peace. The world that we live in cannot give you peace. 
can give you a lot of things. It can give you wealth. It can give you attention. It can give you all sorts of success. It can give you lots of things. It cannot give you peace. I was listening to Kirk Cousins, the quarterback of the Vikings, talk about this in an interview. He said he was in college playing for Michigan State, and they had a road game against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. And he said he dropped back for a pass. The defensive lineman came up hard on him, nailed him. Right before he got hit, he threw the ball. It got intercepted. He got driven into the grass by the defensive lineman. He stood up pulling the grass out of his helmet. He said, I looked around the stadium, and there was 100,000 people cheering. And he said, that's when it hit me. It's 100,000 people cheering my failure. 100,000 people cheering my mistake. And he said, in that moment, I realized you better have something bigger than football to give you a sense of self-worth in life. If you know Kirk's story, he's found that in a relationship with Christ. Friends, you better have something bigger than this world. You better have something bigger than this world to give you peace. You better have something bigger than this world to give you a sense of self-worth. You better have something bigger than this world to satisfy the deepest longings in your soul. And it's found in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus once said these words, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives to you. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Today, we are going to receive, I pray and I hope, the peace of Jesus Christ into our life. We're going to receive communion with one another. And to set communion up, the night before Jesus was betrayed, he gathered his disciples for a meal. And he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. He then took a cup and he raised up the cup and he said, this is my blood Shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me. So we do. But before you receive communion today, the Bible says that we are to examine our lives before we eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And the question that I want you to evaluate your life with today is this. Have you been conforming to a pattern of this world? Is there some part of your life or some part of your family's life that you look at and go, you know what, I, I, I think, I think that's worldly. I think I'm loving the world more than I'm loving God. I think that's a lust of the flesh, a lust of the eyes, a pride of life. I've been conforming to a pattern of this world. I want you to take a moment to examine your life, confess that to God. Receive his grace and his forgiveness that comes with what Christ did for us on the cross. And then go ahead and take communion whenever you like. The band is then going to come out and lead us in a song. And we are going to sing, hey, you can have the world. But give me Jesus. Let's pray together before we receive communion. Lord, I pray in this moment you would speak to us. That we would hear your voice. That you would speak to us about the ways that we've begun to conform to the patterns of this world. Lord, we want to examine our lives in this moment and see if there's worldliness that has crept in. And God, we receive the forgiveness and the grace 
that comes through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. God, we receive your peace that comes through Jesus Christ, a peace that the world cannot give us. I pray this in his name.
God, we pray that those would be true words of us, that our lives would reflect that we are pursuing you and not the things of this world. So where we need help and redirection, we invite you to go with us this week, that you'd walk with us and lead us and guide us, that your likeness would become who we are in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today, friends. If you need prayer, we'll have a prayer team available down front. Have a great week.